What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week. To trade or not to trade? The curious case of Shohei Otani. Plus, without long-term deals, what are the next steps for the running backs playing under the franchise tag? And is Joel Embiid on his way out of Philadelphia? You're listening to episode 82 of Let Me Speak. Let's get things started. Intro, please. Monday, July 17th, 2023 for episode 81 of Let Me Speak. For everyone tuning in, if you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us wherever you get your podcast, thanks for much, so much for tuning in. If you missed it last week, was our return episode after almost a year off. We cleared everything off the books of what's been going on in the past year, and now we're back rolling on the podcast stage. So no more of this mushy-gushy, glad-to-be-back kind of stuff. We're getting right into the thick of things and i gotta tell you it is hot out i just came back from the beach if you're uh just tuning in this is record this was recorded late afternoon the sun's looking out at the window right now it's it's still out a little bit obviously it's gonna still be out for a long time here in the summer months but it was a beautiful day at the beach obviously i was able to get into the ocean by the way i'm very surprised with how quickly my body adjusted to the ocean because when you initially put your feet in or at least when i did today it was a little bit cold but then once you got in there and the waves here in swamp scott are pretty big enough for uh surfing those go past you and all of a sudden wow you just feel so much better and the water just really cools you down i tell you there's nothing like taking just a quick dip in the ocean um it, it was just so refreshing and honestly like it's it's been so crazy and the weather's been like all over the place which by the way all my uh, Massachusetts northern Massachusetts New Hampshire friends uh who are in the midst of that tornado and some flooding I hope you are all staying safe uh because it's been some crazy weather where there haven't really been a lot of beach days but luckily I was able to get out there get a good beach day under there and now we are energized and ready to go on let me speak and speaking of being energized and ready to go that's what baseball is doing. They just got back from the All-Star break. Everyone's first series after the break happened this weekend. We're now into a new week. And obviously, as long as we get to the trade deadline, at least in the MLB, the talk is going to be about Shohei Otani. Is he going to be traded? Is he not going to be traded? We've heard developments during the All-Star break and even over the weekend that uh, the Angels might be willing to actually trade Shohei Otani. And if you missed it last week, I had said Shohei Otani should be booking his ticket now to get out of Anaheim to whoever, because I ranted about how bad the Angels and organization are. The fact that they waste good talent, you know, Mike Trout being exhibit A and now Shohei Otani being exhibit B. But we never really got too deep into the Otani mix. You know, are the Angels going to trade him? Should they trade him? Where should he go if he is traded? Because, I mean, I do believe that he's going to move off of the Angels in the offseason. There's going to be, at some point, he's not going to be in an Angels uniform once we get past the 2023 season. And honestly, looking at the standings right now, via the wild card, the Angels are six back of the third spot, Houston Astros, when we record. Basically, the, the mix is five teams and then it's the Mariners, and then the Angels. If you're asking me, the Angels are not making the playoffs. Not for one second will I believe the Angels will turn things around and get into the playoff. But I do believe Shohei Otani will get his second MVP, regardless of where he is. Now, in terms of what the Angels should do with Shohei, this is a very curious case because we have seen star players and even superstar players get traded at the deadline and even make public requests. The tricky thing with Otani is he hasn't outwardly said 
you know, uh, you know, I, I forget when he said it, but I feel like he said once or twice that he wants to win a title. I'm pretty sure he has said that, but in terms of someone who the narrative, even before it happens is they should move on. They should move on. He should be somewhere else. Da, 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 da. You usually get clues and we haven't really gotten a ton of clues from Shohei. You know, the, we haven't heard the words come out of his mouth and not that, you know, we're expecting players to say, I want to be traded. You know, there are only a handful of cases there. But Otani has never, he hasn't given inkling that uh, he either wants to be moved or he doesn't want to be in the Angels. He hasn't really said any of that. And, you know, I'm sure people will correct me with maybe a quote or two, but at least to my knowledge, I can't think of a time where Otani has given any kind of quote that indicates that he would want to move on. Now, he probably does want to move on, if if that was just my guess. If I were in his shoes and I was one of the best pitchers and hitters in baseball and I haven't made the playoffs since coming over to America, then I would be a little upset. Then I would want to move. Uh, the question on the Angels side is should they move him? And honestly, with a player as good as he is, I feel like you kind of just have to eat it and you have to hang hang on to him. Because, I mean, I'm saying now that the Angels aren't going to make the playoffs. But there could be a miraculous 180 where they turn things around and they leapfrog the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Astros, the Mariners, all those teams, and get themselves into the playoffs. Is it likely? No. But it still can happen. And I think you have to at least keep that around in case you want to entice Shohei. Because I'm sure the Angels are making their pitches now. Obviously, their on-field play isn't a very good pitch, but in terms of off the field, you have to think, oh, we're in California. We're in a good baseball state. You'll get a lot of home runs. You'll get a lot of strikeouts here. That would be the selling point for the Angels. Um, in terms of keeping them, I think you have to keep them. You know, it's hard to say what kind of return would you get for Shohei Otani, but you are going to need, at least for that player, if you're asking me, maybe a half a dozen players who are ready to play now, maybe not prospects, but players who want to play or not want to play, but who are ready or are close to being ready. So you have to look at all the team's farm systems basically and be like, okay, who's close, who's in triple A and who's close to being called up. Also look at their 25 man roster and their 40 man roster being okay. Who can do well for us in the near future and in the present future. I don't know how many of that there might you might need to have six half a dozen players who could play on a major league roster today and then you maybe need to have half a dozen prospects that you can develop in your farm system because really that's that's been the angels big problem they haven't had any homegrown talent outside of mike trout you know they're always paying out these big bucks to albert pujols to josh hamilton to shohei otani so far it hasn't worked anthony rendon let's put another one out there they've gone this way of just handing out big contracts but it still hasn't worked they haven't developed anyone for maybe the last 10 years or so from their farm system so that's what i think the hall would be for the angels if they were to trade him but i would not if i were the gm of the angels i would hold on to otani as long as i can because this is a once in a generational player okay He's getting comparisons to Babe Ruth. If you're getting comparisons to that player, he is far too valuable. So I am holding on to them, holding on to Shohei if I am the Angels. And if he walks, you let him walk. At least you took the chance and went the rest of the way. What happens if you trade him and then all the guys you get back are total busts? Just think about that. Think about that if you're the Angels. I in being in the manager spot and the GM spot, I'm holding on to Otani until he says, and he writes it down on paper, I'm going elsewhere besides your team. Now, if he were to get traded and the Angels do decide that they're going to shop him around before the deadline on August 1st, I believe. Let's look at the teams that might be interested. In reports, we've heard the Rays will take a look at him. Tampa will. Uh, we've seen the Yankees will take a look at him. Uh, I'm sure the Dodgers and all your your big teams or whatever are going to be out there. So just breaking it team by team, I mentioned the haul that Otani would have to get. You know, half a dozen ready players, 
half a dozen prospects, you know, probably about 12 players for this kind of player. Uh, I'm just looking at who's got maybe the deepest roster out there. And I think one of the teams I just mentioned, the Rays, they have a really deep roster. I mean, you go all the way down, the fact that they can just pluck uh, farm, you know, out of their farm system, out of double A and triple A, and they just replace guys without a hitch. Um, you know, they have they have a really deep roster, and I'm sure Tampa could entice them to play alongside like a Randy or Rosarena. Maybe you throw out a uh, – you, you just think of all the players that are doing well for them now and throw them out there. You know, obviously you're going to keep McClanahan your ace, but they've got a really good bullpen. They've got a really good lineup. You know, think about Brandon Lau is out there. Maybe Yandy Diaz, just to name a few players. But just if you look at the Tampa roster, they've got a bunch of great players that the Angels would absolutely take in return. So I think they're probably the biggest option, number one. Number two would be Sneaky. And uh, I forget who talked about it. Some expert might have said it. But what about the Orioles? The Orioles have a young team. And if they're trying to make some noise now, in the AL, unless they don't want to go with this young core and they maybe want to put Otani right in the centerpiece, they've got pieces. They've got a ton of young pieces that they can throw out there and being like, hey, Angels, these guys played for us and they're pretty good. Why don't you take them and we'll take Otani? That's another one right there that I'm really thinking about. Obviously, you have to look at the Seattle Mariners just because they're within the division. And by the way, what happened at the All-Star game when fans were chanting, we want Otani or come to Seattle. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a surreal sight, a surreal sight. And then obviously I think third team on that one is the Dodgers. I think, you know, in terms of ranking it, I think best destinations, Tampa, Baltimore, and Dodgers. I would say Dodgers are right there on that list just because they have such a deep team and an all-star team. I mean, the Dodgers might be number one, at least in terms of where he might sign in the off season. So he might be, Otani might be thinking, huh, if I want to go play for them, why don't I go there now just to see how it is? Because if he does get traded, wherever he gets traded to, it's basically an audition process. You've got about two months and maybe more if you can make the playoffs to show Otani how good of a franchise and a team you can be in order to be able to convince him to stay long term. I don't know if many teams are going to be able to do that. So, overall, grand scheme of things, if he were to get traded, Tampa is probably the best place to go. But if I'm in the man general manager seat in Anaheim, right outside of Angel Stadium, I'm saying we are keeping Otani until the wheels fall off, okay? Un until they literally crash their car into a ditch, they are not getting rid of Otani. That's what I would do. You know, some people might think otherwise. Obviously, Angels management might think otherwise. But I think that Otani should remain an angel if you're looking at it from a management standpoint in the angels. Cause that's really what's keeping their franchise afloat. I mean, let's face it basically since the mid two thousands, you know, they made the playoffs every year, but after that they've just been up and down and up and down. I think Mike Trout has only made the playoffs one time outside of that. It's just been dud after dud after dud. So that's where I stand on uh, Shohei Otani. It's going to be really interesting to see how these next couple of weeks play out because Otani's still going to do his thing. But how many teams are interested uh, via the trade deadline? That is one thing to keep an eye on. But coming up next, we shift to football because today was the franchise tag deadline. And there are a couple of players who remain unsigned, which has everyone guessing what's next. If anyone knows it, but we are only a couple of weeks from training camp around the NFL. I actually believe uh, a week from Thursday is when things get underway. And what no one really noticed was that today was the franchise tag deadline. That means everyone who was unsigned to a long-term deal, uh, if they were tagged with the franchise tag, that means they can't be eligible for any long-term deals. And wouldn't you know it, there are three players and three specific running backs who did not get long-term deals, and we'll go by them player by player. Obviously, the big one is Saquon Barkley. I mean, that is arguably, if, if you ask me, 
That's a top five running back right there. And obviously we knew that this was going to be a problem for the Giants. The fact that they had Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley uh, do up for long-term extensions. Obviously they gave it to Daniel Jones and then they put the tag on Barkley. Now, I don't know if I would have done that uh, considering that Daniel Jones, yes, he led the Giants to the playoffs, but he's still, you're not putting him in a category of top 10 quarterbacks and you're not paying him the kind of money that he's paying. I understand this is like the new NFL and this is the, uh, these are what quarterbacks are making now. So get ready for all the other big deals. Um, I understand that. But in terms of where my investment would go, I would have invested more in Saquon Barkley than I would Daniel Jones. And obviously that's just how the NFL is. They're looking less at running backs because they feel like they can produce them one after another. You know, these elite talents don't stay around for long. You know, think of it as like a six or seven year window, you know, maybe even less than that for some of these running backs. But Saquon Barkley is someone different. I mean, before the injuries, and obviously we look at the injury as a big uh, asterisk mark, before the injury and before the injury riddled seasons, Saquon was maybe the best running back in the league. This was before even Derrick Henry uh, burst on the scene. This guy was explosive. I mean, the way he could uh, juke defenders at the line of scrimmage and his downhill speed. I mean, this was a guy that everyone thought was going to be the next big thing. And then sure enough, he gets the terrible injury. He misses the rest of the year. He barely plays in the next year. And then this past year was basically his comeback year and his prove it year. And he proved it. Absolutely. I mean, he was the offense for the New York Giants. And the fact that the Giants couldn't find a way to extend him. I mean, I understand where the league is going, but to disregard a guy like Saquon Barkley is kind of sad. It's kind of ridiculous because I know a bunch of teams who, if Saquon Barkley were to hit free agency today, would literally drop everything, drive to wherever Saquon lives. If it's like near Penn State where he went to college or if he's living in New Jersey, they would rush to his front door being like, hey, we want you. How much do you want? That's how I see it with Saquon. Now, do I think he plays with the Giants? Yes, I do think they come to a resolution because I think those two have good communication. I think Barkley is one of those athletes where he knows his worth, but he also understands what the league is looking like. So I do think he knows what his value is, but I'm sure he and the Giants would come to a middle ground. And we saw tweeted out, you know, after the deadline pass, he tweeted, uh, it is what it is. So he's just kind of sitting there saying, okay, someone's going to pay me. So I think in the back of his mind, he knows he's going to get money somewhere, whether it's in New York or whether it's somewhere else, he's going to get his money. Do I expect him to hold out? Probably not, because I think there might there might be some teams. I know if it was me, I'd be looking at him and saying, okay, he had a good one year coming off that injury. Can he do it again? And can the Giants be a better team, maybe even win the division or challenge the Eagles, challenge the Cowboys uh, in that division? That's how I would see it with Saquon and uh, with the New York Giants. So I think that's the big one right there. Saquon Barkley not getting that long-term deal. I think that's the big one. Obviously, the second big one is Josh Jacobs and the Raiders. I mean, this is a guy who said uh, during cleanout day in Vegas that he wants to resign. He wants to resign. Sure enough, he gets the tag. And I think Jacobs, he's similar to Barkley in that he knows his value, but I think he's kind of overestimating himself. I mean, when you look at the category of running backs, if you're asking me, I think you have Derrick Henry uh, up there. You have uh, Saquon, who I just mentioned, uh, just going down the list. Um, you have Austin Eckler. You know, I'm just naming a few right off the bat, not in any kind of order. But Josh Jacobs is definitely top 10. He's like a fringe top five, at least for me. I know he led the league in rushing, but I think you have to remember who's the coach and who's running the show. We're talking about Al Davis or uh, Mark Davis, excuse me, Al Davis, uh, the legendary Raiders owner, his son, Mark runs the team you got mark davis and then you got josh mcdaniels those are guys who are kind of known for somewhat like controversial not controversial moves but just some like interesting head scratching moves that 
you kind of wonder why are they making those? And we know where they invested in. We know they invested in quarterback and Jimmy Garoppolo and maybe Brian Hoyer or something like that. I don't know. But they're so offensive focused. I mean, they traded Darren Waller, their tight end. So you'd think you'd want to give them a little bit of a bounce back uh, and give on that offense a safety net. And that safety net would be Josh Jacobs. But the fact is, Jacobs is not held to that high standard. I mean, this is a guy who's been one of the more consistent running backs in the NFL. I mean, him, Nick Chubb, the guys I just mentioned, those guys have been consistent. They haven't been the leading rusher every single year, but in terms of running backs, you're reliable on, like in fantasy, like you're not worried about any kind of injury or stuff like that. You know what you're getting out of certain players and what you're getting out of Josh Jacobs is a reliable running back. The problem is, like I said, this is a new NFL and guys like Mark Davis and Josh McDaniels don't see Josh Jacobs in this light. So I, and we already are hearing reports that when training camps and workouts come along, Josh Jacobs isn't going to be there. So I think he's a guy who's kind of, you know, fighting because he might, ultimately he thinks, and he might know the window about uh, running backs and now they don't last long. So I think he's trying to get his money now. And uh, because it could be, you know, maybe a last significant contract that he gets. So I think Josh Jacobs is another interesting one to really keep your eye on. What will Vegas do, especially when you've got an injury riddled Jimmy G and kind of a Raiders franchise that seems, you know, all over the place. Uh, But the last running back who got tagged and didn't get a deal, obviously, is Tony Pollard. And we know why, you know, the injury late in the year. Um, you know, all the pressure shifted to Zeke Elliott and he's not even on the market. Um, I'm not surprised, honestly, that Tony Pollard didn't get anything because um, with that injury, you know, you never know how he's, how he's going to be. And I think, you know, thinking about it, I don't know like specifically what the timeline is. I know uh, back when the Cowboys season ended that he was very optimistic that he would be able to make training camp and he'd be able to participate but honestly, you can't you can't guarantee with the kind of injury that he had. It was an ugly injury, and especially for a running back, that that's a scary proposition. Definitely scary. So I can see why they didn't come together on a long term extension just because of the injury. And plus, we don't know what he's going to be like when he's got a full production. You got to remember, basically, since he came in the league, it was him and Ezekiel Elliott splitting time. It was basically 50-50. And then as the years went on, it was slowly, slowly getting to Pollard. It was getting to 51-49 and 52-48. And then eventually he got the big workload, not only out of the passing game, but in the running game as well. Because we know what happened when he entered the league. Zeke Elliott was the guy. He was the up-and-comer. He was leading the league in rushing. And then here comes Pollard, who's sensational out of the backfield, catching it. They trust him to run the ball now. And if he can get back to form where he was before injury – then I think he has a really good shot of being a good running back. But the injury concern is just too big of a question mark, if you ask me, uh, when it comes to the Cowboys and Tony Pollard. So that's really what I'm keeping my eyes on for training camp. Obviously, we'll see some position battles as well, but I'm very much looking forward to when training camp gets back underway in just a short amount of time. But coming up, there's also another star athlete who might be on his way out of the team he drafted. And that is the guy they call the process. But is the process about to be over in Philadelphia? now is the part of the show where we're just looking at a bunch of other sports news especially with the time that it is in the summer uh, a little bit slow and i gotta tell you there's a lot more news than i thought over the past week and i think the big one happened today when joel Embiid uh, made some very interesting comments i'm just pulling up the uh, comment really quick uh that basically he said that he wants to win a championship and whether that's in philadelphia or with another team then so be it now if you ask me about uh, the reigning MVP, Joel Embiid. I'm not a fan. I, I haven't been really a fan of him for uh, for a long time. Um, I just think he's a little bit cocky. He's a little bit arrogant. And 
Sometimes he just, you know, writes checks that he can't really cash, you know, in terms of any kind of celebrations. And he's kind of got a big ego and uh, that kind of stuff. I mean, the comments about Ben Simmons and Doc Rivers kind of deflecting blame and stuff like that. I know that was early in his career, but still, I kind of hold him accountable to that. Um, But in terms of this quote, this was fascinating because this is the first time in uh, Embiid's Philadelphia career that he's really shown disdain. And honestly, if I had been drafted in 2014 and I've been a MVP and haven't even made a conference finals, I'd be a little upset too. Um, it, it is interesting how he said that he wants to win a championship and whether that's in Philly or not uh, remains to be seen because the story outside of Embiid with Philly is that James Harden has, is still requesting a trade. What else is new? Uh, James Harden requesting a trade is basically like the summer solstice. It comes around once a year. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, for Embiid, I mean, honestly, he hasn't really had a ton of help around him. Uh, in recent years, if you're asking me, I mean, he had a golden opportunity in 2019. I understand, you know, a friendly bounce from Toronto and uh, Kawhi Leonard kind of dashed things. But I mean, that team had Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, uh, Ben Simmons when he was still playing well. Um, now you look at where he is recently. You know, he had it. He had it. I'm I'm not saying that Joel Embiid isn't justified in, you know, these kind of comments. but. In game six, they were only a few minutes away from making the conference finals for the first time. And if you ask me, I think they would have beaten Miami. I think Miami wouldn't have had anyone defensively to stop Embiid. And then everyone else, like Tyrese Maxey uh, and all those other guys, could have really benefited in playing in Miami. But what happens? Jason Tatum goes nuts. He scores, I think, 15 points in that quarter. Joel Embiid. None in that quarter. Then in game seven, when Jason Tatum goes for 51, Joel Embiid is nowhere to be found. So I don't know how you can sort of make this claim of like, you want to win a championship. And if you do it somewhere else, then so be it. Because honestly, you've had multiple times to win in Philadelphia. I mean, look at the opportunities that you have. You're basically, you're one of maybe the most dominant big men since Shaquille O'Neal. And the fact that you can't, um, muster anything together, any kind of championship performance, that's kind of ridiculous. And honestly, I don't know if Philly should want MB. Like I said, I wasn't a big fan of him, but the fact that this disdain comes out, I mean, reports are saying that he wants James Harden to stay. And James Harden has said he wants to go, he wants to go, and nothing was going to change it. I mean, he opted in, and now they're working on a trade partner. But really, who would want James Harden? Apparently, Joel Embiid wants James Harden because if Harden goes, who else does he have? Tyrese Maxey? That's pretty much it. Maxey's a good player, but he's not a superstar teammate that Joel Embiid needs. So this is something to watch for, especially at the end of Summer League, free agency wrapping up. You know, there's basically this month period of a lull until camp gets underway. Uh, I'm very curious to see what Joel Embiid does and if any more developments come out of this. Um, you know, maybe it could be a Damian Lillard for Joel Embiid trade. That would be very interesting. Uh, just a little proposal since both guys apparently want out of their teams. So, uh, again, just keep your eyes on that seven-foot process, the former MVP, because he might be on his way out of Philly. But staying in basketball, I just got to mention this really quickly. Uh, from the WNBA, they had their all-star break, and they had their three-point shootout, and Sabrina Ionescu had an unbelievable performance. If you're asking me, you know, I'm a Celtic fan. I love Larry Bird. I think what Steph Curry has done is incredible. What Klay Thompson has done is incredible. But I think what Sabrina Ionescu did, hitting 35 out of 30, only missing two shots, two three-pointers in that contest, is the best performance in a three-point shootout, men or women, that I have ever seen. The fact that she only missed two shots i mean even steph curry was in amazement and he even said today that he's coming for sabrina ionescu's record so don't think that steph curry is now going to enter the three-point contest every single year just to beat that mark he wants to hit every single one so sabrina ionescu that is a full salute for the incredible three-point performance that she did in the contest the fact that she made 
hit 37 points and only missed two buckets. Absolutely unreal. But Steve, speaking of Steph Curry, I mean, what can't this guy do? I mean, the guy has his own game show on ABC. Um, he is a former MVP, multiple-time MVP, four NBA championships, and now he's an incredible golfer? Like, seriously? This dude made a hole-in-one in a celebrity tournament. I mean, if you ask him now to retire, I say he could make the PGA. I honestly think he could. And he could win a couple of majors, if you ask me. I think he could win two, at least two. Because this guy, the way he has been golfing recently with the match and now in this tournament, wow. Absolutely wow. The fact that Steph Curry, I mean, I'm kind of jealous. It's like, can you leave some talent for the young people or just any person? Like, I need to better my golf game. Why do you have to be one of the best NBA players of all time and be so ridiculously good at golf? It's insane. Like, it's one of those things you just have to laugh that it's just so unreal. So Steph Curry, you know, he wins the American Century Championship. Um, I think he was the only the second active player, active athlete, to win that. And that's one of the tournaments I really like. When you get all the celebrities and athletes, former athletes out there, just playing some golf in Lake Tahoe, I think it's kind of cool. Um, but Steph Curry maybe had the best performance out of a current athlete who's a golfer that I've ever seen. I've ever seen a hole in one. He had an Eagle to win it. I mean, just it's unbelievable what Steph Curry uh, is able to do on the golf floor. Um, And then lastly, obviously Wimbledon final, I was able to watch this right after I was producing uh, uh, Andy Hart and uh, John Lyons, by the way, John Lyons, welcome to the WEI family. I was able to watch the Wimbledon final Carlos Alcaraz, Novak Djokovic. I mean, you know it's a high-profile event when you've got celebrities like Andrew Garfield, uh, like Spider-Man, uh, James Bond, the Prince uh, and Princess, uh, Kate Middleton, George and Kate Middleton, I think it is. I, I forget. I don't follow the royal family. Uh, that's for reality show and entertainment tonight. Um, but if you're getting those kind of uh, celebrities out there to watch this tournament, it must be unreal. And I had sort of a side eye on it while it was producing, and – I was fascinated to find out that Alcaraz is only 20 years old because I was telling my fellow producer, uh, Bridget Prue before the Red Sox came on is that I grew up in this tennis era where it was uh, Roger Federer dominating things. And then Rafael Nadal sort of came in and then he went back and forth, back and forth. Then Novak Djokovic comes in. He sort of takes it. Then it's flip flopping between the three of them. And then recently Federer retires and Nadal is on his way to retirement. Djokovic now is the record. So it's like, okay, where is the next, you know, big tennis star that, you know, fans can gravitate to and sort of say, that's someone who uh, you'd put your money on to win. And I think Carlos Alcaraz now has it. And, you know, I said that, you know, for anyone, any European, you know, whether it be Alcaraz, who's a Spaniard, or uh, Djokovic, who's a Serbian, if you win Wimbledon, it just means that much more. Um, so the fact that Alcaraz, you know, he had it in the uh, fourth set, he went down in the first set, but then he just, he was unreal he was making Djokovic run back and forth and Djokovic was sliding all over the place uh and then Alcaraz just putting the finishing touch in that fifth set I mean his timing of his shots were incredible like when he knew when to lob it in and then when to just volley back and forth uh absolutely unreal if you're getting Djokovic to slam his uh racket into the side of the net you're doing something right so congrats to the 20 year old Carlos Alcaraz for winning Wimbledon. Um, so that's sort of the sports news that's been going on uh, recently in the past week or so. Uh, we move now to all you Boston fans out there. It's time to get local with our Let's Get Local segment of the week. This is our city. As we move on to Let's Get Local, I know Patriots fans are talking all today about the fact that DeAndre Hopkins is not coming to New England. You know, there were some there were fun things out there that he was in New England for 36 hours. He took photos of uh, Matthew Judon in the locker room. But unfortunately, D-Hop is heading to Nashville. He signed with the Tennessee Titans after what many, myself included, thought the Patriots 
were the best option for him uh, for where he wanted to sign. But looking at it right now, D-Hop signing with the Titans, two years, $26 million. And I'm sure there's a $12 million guaranteed, I believe that is, with a couple incentives now and again. And, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this reporting. You know, I heard uh, Mike Florio on the Greg Hill Show on WEI. And it just seemed like the Pats were just never in it and fully engaged, which to me is kind of, uh, it makes me kind of mad. Not that the fact that they didn't get DeAndre Hopkins, because I'm sure there will be fans there being like, oh, we didn't need him anyway. I think you needed DeAndre Hopkins. And the fact that Bill Belichick and the Patriots weren't able to match, you know, I saw a report that they were $2 million less Um compared to the Titans and that they just seemed less engaged. I don't know what it is. Like, what is it with, I don't know if this is a Bill Belichick or a Robert Kraft kind of thing, but the fact that they are just not spending the money, they have the money to spend. Now, I don't know if it's, they're waiting for Dalvin cook, even though the odds say that they're one of the top teams to go get him. I don't know if they're waiting for that, but wide receiver is a bigger need than running back. If you're asking me, I don't know why Bill Belichick seems to be disengaged with spending the money on these high-profile talents. I mean, look at the spending spree in 2021, and look at the names that he attached to, okay? In terms of free agency and where he's spending his money, he sucks at it. Bill Belichick sucks at finding talent via free agency. Really, the only one from that 2021 he hit was Matthew Judon, and even he's got some contract questions coming up. You know, he's got an extension coming up, but look at the names that he threw out there. Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Jonu Smith, uh, just to name a few. Like, come on, Jalen Mills. Like, those are the names you're going to put out there. Even if you don't think they're a good talent, at least bring the guy in. I understand he came in for a visit, but he should have, if I was the Patriots and I heard that the Titans were the only team that he was visiting. You know, he wasn't visiting the Chiefs or the Bills or any of these other teams that are championship worthy, if you're asking me. The fact that you let him walk and you don't give him a deal. And then later on, when you're not reconnecting with him and saying, what are you looking for? We'll bump it up by only $2 million, okay? If there's a $2 million difference, that's easy. It's so easy to make up for. I know a bunch of players on the Patriots that that could be cut right now. Top of the list is Miles Bryant. Um, uh, Fitzy and Hart have gotten into my head about that guy. Um, <laughs> but the fact that they were basically unengaged and Bill, uh, what Mike Florio said is basically Bill Belichick wasn't going to sign him uh, anyway, you know, with all the visits and stuff like that. That just makes me so upset that to at least be competitive, that's the problem with the Patriots right now is they don't seem to want to be competitive in anything, in any games, in any decision-making, in free agency. That is the biggest problem I'm seeing with this Bill Belichick, at least mini era, if you're asking me. How are you uncompetitive? You're spent. You're wasting your cap, uh, all the money that you have to spend on lower-level guys that are maybe fringe starters. How are you not competitive? You're putting a defensive guy as your play caller and a guy who's basically working for you for free into a position on offense where he has no experience and from past players reporting on other teams don't like him. And he was a nuisance in the locker room. How are you non-competitive? You're signing guys who are basically the same model as guys you drafted to the exact same contract when you could have had them for less. I just don't understand the thought process that Bill Belichick decides to go through and seeing a guy like Hopkins who can clearly help the offense. He can help Mac Jones. He can help the running game with Ramondre Stevenson. He can help develop wide receivers like Kendrick Bourne and Tyquan Thornton. He can help the tight end room. He can help the offensive line. He can help so many people. And Belichick just says, nah, we don't need him. We don't need him. Or he's probably more like, yeah, we can move on. We can move on with that. It just, it blows my mind. And I know I ranted about this last week, 
but I don't know how this ends clean for Belichick. Like, is he trying? Is he actually trying to get Don Shula's record? Because if he wanted to get the record, he would maybe try harder, but he still seems to be stuck in his own ways and decides to not listen to any outside noise, including the noise inside his own building, and just goes on his own plan. Now, if it works out and they make the playoffs, you know, congratulations, golf clap. But that doesn't do anything. You're not moving the needle, even if you just make the playoffs. So I just don't understand the plan that Bill Belichick is going through and the fact that you just let D-Hop walk to Tennessee for only $2 million more. Now, if this was a thing like a Xander Bogarts thing, um, and he's taken a much bigger contract than what you're offering, then it's fine. But the fact that it was that close, and you were the better team. Look at where the Patriots are positioned compared to the Titans position. All right? The Patriots are more of an upswing than the Titans are. The Titans are going downhill. Mike Brable and that team, I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs. They'll just make it into the wild card, if anything. But the fact is, they have a Jaguars team that, that's much better. And I understand the division they're playing in. That's another thing. Look at the division. You're already much better competitively with the Jets who uh, got Aaron Rodgers. With the Dolphins, who continue to load up. With the Bills, who have won the division for the past few years. Why are you not competitive with them, at least? Ugh, I, can, I can literally go three hours about Bill Belichick and what the Patriots are doing. Uh, with all the news I hear, it's something new every week. Something new every week. But what might be even more frustrating than not seeing DeAndre Hopkins signed is not seeing Jalen Brown signed with the Boston Celtics. Brown is apparently off to Europe for a Players Association event, and he stands here still without a contract extension. Now, is it frustrating? Sure. But I still have optimism that it's going to get done. You know, I said this last week that you have, I think you have to move on with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum running the show. And then you just build around them. And really, this is on Jalen Brown to get better. I mean, Brad Stevens and the Celtics organization have given him the tools to try and get better. And then we see him turn over the ball. Can't dribble with his left hand. Dribbles into three guys instead. But now there's, uh, there's something going around especially with what John Corrales said uh, Sunday uh, when he called into the Curtis and Hart show, uh, which I didn't produce, but I was able to use a snippet out of that. And he said that Jalen Brown believes he's equal to Jason Tatum. Okay, JB, it's time for a reality check. You're not Jason Tatum. And honestly, not many people are on Jason Tatum's level. If you're asking me, Jason Tatum is a top 10 player in the league. Jalen Brown just barely cracks the top 20. So why does he think he's equal? Is that why he's running into the lane with three guys into him and decides to throw up a wild shot or drive in there, even though he's got a guy wide open in the corner or a trailer right behind him? That that could be it, you know? But he's proved himself already with what he did in the regular season that earned him the money. If he just learns to play alongside Jason Tatum, not play ahead of Jason Tatum, play alongside Jason Tatum, then things will be okay. He's going to get his money. He'll get it from someone. That's what he's got to understand. If it's not from the Celtics, they'll trade him, and he'll go somewhere else where someone will offer him the money. I don't know what more Jalen has to prove. If he's maybe proving to the Celtics, uh, why he's been in trade uh, scenarios every single offseason. Could that be part of the frustration? I see the frustration with that. But I think he's got to understand the level of play that he's had. If he really, really thinks that he can lead a team to a championship by himself and not alongside Jason Tatum, he doesn't want to be the Robin to his Batman. He wants to be Batman himself. He wants to be these rebooted Batmans and go somewhere else and lead a team then he should have said that right from the outset instead of prolonging this and prolonging this. And I don't know why the Celtics are prolonging this and prolonging this unless we hear afterwards that it's a detail about a fifth-year option or trade possibilities. You know, it could be something like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm not too concerned about it. I am a little bit concerned. Like, 
In terms of where we were at the offseason, I would have said my concern level on a scale of 1 to 10 was maybe at like a 2, and now it's probably sitting at like a 4 or a 5. Uh, if we get into the month of August and he's still not signed, then it gets up to maybe like a 7 or an 8, and uh, then we start hearing about him probably in trades for Dame Lillard, maybe even Joel Embiid, James Harden, you know, those kind of players. So I don't think it's something to for, for Celtics fans out there. It's not something to be concerned about right now, but this can be a concern in the future. So don't all of a sudden, you know, if it if he gets to a couple more weeks and he's still not signed, don't say, oh, I was concerned from the start. No, or this is the first time I've been concerned. No, you were concerned weeks ago uh, when he goes to Europe and he still is without a deal. Um, but that's what's going on off uh, in the offseason. Let's talk about the team that's playing right now. And obviously the Red Sox have to be feeling good after taking two out of three from the Cubs. They're not in last place anymore. Just looking at the standings real quick, they're only two. They're still two back of that final wild card spot. But because of how well they've done against the Yankees, they've leapfrogged them and now are in the last team out of the wild card spot. They're only two back of the Houston Astros. And honestly, I'm not going to put too much stock into it because the Cubs are not a good team, okay? They're now 43 and 49. Now they go to Oakland and they play the 25 and 70 Oakland Athletics, all right? And then after that, they play the New York Mets, who are 43 and 50. Then the test becomes when they play the Braves. So if you're asking me, I don't want to get too excited because this is a team that's been basically average the entire season. They can win eight straight, then they can lose six straight. After that, they come back, they win five straight, they drop uh, six straight. So it, they're just too back and forth for me to put a marker down and say, oh, this team is good, they will make the playoffs. I think they can make the playoffs. And I ranted about Bloom last week. I'm not going to rant again, but all I'm going to say is Bloom has to make a move. I think, you know, in terms of the buyer-seller conversation, I think they have to be buyers, but not huge buyers. I think you just get a serviceable starting pitcher, a serviceable, serviceable, or easy for me to say, a serviceable starting pitcher. And if that means you might have to give up James Paxton or maybe a bullpen guy, then so be it. But really, the big uh, key for the Sox has been their lack of starting pitching. And obviously, that has to do with injuries. You know, Chris Sale getting hurt again. Tanner Houck, obviously with the facial fracture. Garrett Whitlock, he's hurt as well. But the lineup, we've seen what the lineup can do. And I know, you know, that what DeHeim Bloom's approach has been is that getting guys from injury is their deadline move. And maybe he can do that with the lineup this year because Trevor Story is on his way back. Um, you've got other guys uh, who are slowly making his return. Adam Duvall is getting, still getting his, his feet under him. Yu Chang's getting his feet under him. But you have great guys like Devers, who had a great series against Chicago. Tristan Casas is starting to look a little bit better. You've obviously got Yoshida pounding the ball. Justin Turner, uh, just to name a few. Uh, Jaron Duran continuing to do his thing. So the lineup is fine. I think the lineup is fine. But what you need is a starting pitcher. That's what I think Bloom. if he's going to be a buyer, that's what he's got to go after. I can't name you a name because I really don't know what teams might be selling out there. Um, but if you're asking me, starting pitching is the way to go for the Sox. And hopefully they can sweep uh, the Oakland A's and really make Bloom have to press that uh, buyer market because really he's just been a giant cheapskate since his time uh, as a chief baseball officer or chief baseball operations, whatever that stupid title is. You know, he's going to be handcuffed into this kind of decision. So hopefully the Sox can win and really make him choose where they want to go and where they have to go because they might need to be buyers if they go into the deadline and they're right there in the wild card spot. So we'll see how the Sox do. Uh, but coming up to wrap up the show, as we always do, we get on the lighter side of sports and look at our LOL moment of the week. And as we 
wrap up the show like we always do. We look at our LOL moment of the week. Now, during the summer, some teams are not in action, and it's hard to find those specific moments on where the bloopers are. But this one might take the cake. We're going to the NBA Summer League, and we're going to the Indiana Pacers. Now, I don't know about you, but if you follow the NBA, the Pacers are not that good recently. Not very good. Not very good. Uh, They were a lottery team, and we're starting to see why. And if you watch this clip, you'll understand what's going on. So the Pacers are defending here, and it looks pretty normal. And you see the Mavs streaking out. The only problem is that's uh, the right basket, and none of the Pacers know that. (laughs) The Pacers decide to defend the wrong basket, but for some interesting and bizarre reason, the referee calls a backcourt violation on the Mavericks. And you just see all the confusion around there. And it just, it doesn't make any sense as to how, how you mess up defending the basket. I mean, it's, it's, it'd be one thing if it was like the start of a quarter or something like that. But if you look at the time, they're pretty well into the quarter. And I understand it's a blowout and you might be giving up on a blowout, but come on, at least know what basket you're scoring on. So, I mean, these are the Pacers summer league. I mean, it's, it's kind of easy to make the Pacers roster uh, if you're anywhere in the summer league, but I think these five guys just did them a disservice and won't find themselves any playing time on Indiana. You better hope that uh, Rick Carlisle, head coach, uh, everyone in that Indiana organization, even the players, especially Tyrese Halliburton, who just got a big extension. Congrats on him. Uh, I would not be uh, too thrilled if I was watching that. I mean, you're seeing, the laughs and basically being made fun of. I mean, initially when I first saw it, I thought the Mavericks player was scoring on his own basket and that was going to be the moment. But the fact is that the Pacers had no idea which way they were going, which is very funny, but it's also sad uh, when you think of it in a summer league aspect, because that could have been like the last tryout or whatever for some of those guys, you know, some of them, might not make it in the NBA, and if they do, they'll just get on the G League or they'll like make a two-way or they'll be like on the end of the bench or anything like that. So that is not a good audition tape. You know, that's definitely not going on the demo reel uh, for any of those players. So uh, I, I don't know who to give it to if that's on the co- – I don't think it's on the Summer League coach because I'm pretty sure he would have I, – I, it's second nature to figure out where you're going. So I'm going to give it on all five of those Pacers players – and I'll give it on to the uh, official, too. So uh, the five Indiana players on the court and the official who called a seemingly non-backcourt violation, they have landed themselves into this week's LOL moment of the week for not figuring out which direction to score the basket. And with that, we are done with this edition of let me speak thank you everyone for tuning in if you're watching us on youtube or listening to us wherever you get your podcast make sure you're following our social media pages on facebook and on instagram all you got to do is search let me speak podcast thank you again everyone for tuning in and we will see you next time later